I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. I am so happy that you are here and I would love for you to take a quick second and click like and hit subscribe. It is so important to help this podcast continue. And if you love what you're hearing on the podcast, you can continue to get cool stuff. All you have to do is go to beufindhappy.com and join the movement. Hi, Stephanie, and welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. Super excited about what we're going to talk about today because it's one of my favorite topics of all time, which is aging gracefully. Uh, we're going to talk about unlocking the power of midlife uh, for women and um, just general coffee table wisdom, right? The name of, of your um, podcast or some of the things you're involved in. Can you share a little bit with the listeners all about who you are and, and how you got involved in this world? I started writing about aging about four years ago. And one of the magical things about the internet is when you write a blog or an article, there's room for people to give you feedback. And what I discovered was that there were tons of women out there who just weren't going to go gentle into that good night. And they were women that were uh, that were unhappy with the, the more toxic stereotyping of what aging is. You talk about, you know, what it is to age gracefully and I think we've always aged gracefully. It's just that we've not always had a culture that supported it. And for a long time, women themselves didn't support it. It was easier to make a joke about you're over the hill at 40. Oh, now you're a cougar. Um, oh, look at what's happening to my jawline. All kinds of negative stuff. And so women fear losing their looks as they get older. Women fear... Um, losing their mental acuity, acumen as they get older, and they fear money. Will they have enough money as they get older? So my message in these last several years, and the message of my book, A Delightful Little Book on Aging, is that we change our attitudes about aging, and that changes the outcome of the way the culture treats us. But we have to teach the culture how to treat us. We can't just say, oh, this is happening to us and I'm a victim. You have to be proactive in your life and live life by example of what it means to age gracefully and gratefully and engaged and vitally. I, I just love what you said and a couple of things that I was thinking as you were talking. And um, one of them is we really have become a tremendous fear-based society. Uh, we've really become a society that does not value uh, the beauty and wisdom that comes with aging. And you're absolutely right that I believe this is true of really third wave feminists and, and women in general, that we have kind of been like almost indoctrinated to take a victim approach, that things are happening to us um, and that we aren't in control of our life. And uh, more importantly, uh, just kind of this out of touch reality by the fact that we can change our attitude and our thoughts. So I, I love what you've said. Um, and you know what's interesting is, and we can blame we can blame the the recent events of 2020. But I, 
uh, just had that. I woke up one day and was like, I'm not highlighting my hair anymore. <laughs> That's over. I'm done with that. Um, and granted, you know, being uh, still relatively younger, although definitely uh, prime midlife, um, I, if I, I have a journey to kind of come back from the highlight process because it's just been that way forever. Um, but it is so empowering. I love my natural hair color. It is uh, mostly a dirty blonde. And then, you know, I've got, uh, I'm turning 41 and I've got um, certainly, you know, a few strands of gray hair here and there. Um, but I'm feeling so empowered by really embracing uh, just who I am and not getting caught up in this whole, oh, you know, women need to look a certain way to to be young. And, and, and I have a thought about that too, which is I, I had my 20s and they were spectacular and wild and fun. And I had my 30s and they were so insightful. And I feel like it is a gift to get to be in my 40s now. This is not this is not something to say, oh, I've lost my youth, but rather to say I've gained all of this life experience. And now I get to move on into the next phase of my life. And eventually I'm going to be a grandma and eventually I'm going to have all of that. And I, and I feel like what we're teaching our youth is that, you know, youth is the most important thing. And once that's gone, your life is over. And that is such an improper way to be looking at things. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that midlife for a woman is one of the juiciest creative times in life. I mean, you think about what menopause is and you're not going to have kids anymore after menopause. But that creative energy that made you want to become a mother doesn't just disappear. It now goes into something else. And so midlife women often become entrepreneurs, they go to encore careers, um, they get into their art, they go back and reclaim an art that maybe they loved when they were in high school or college, but put it aside because it just didn't meet with, you know, marriage and mortgage and all the things that we have to do to make a life that's responsible. So I love those midlife years and I love how it stretches out beyond. And the fact that we can, as women, support each other in the aging process, and there are lots and lots of examples around us, to say that these are juicy, creative, engaged years. I think of uh, Carol King. I recently watched a recording of Carol King doing a concert in Hyde Park. And at one point, she's sitting at the piano and she's singing, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Now, remember that Carol King is 74 years old. Behind her is this huge screen and an image of the 28-year-old Carol King, film of her singing, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. And the older Carol King is harmonizing with the younger Carol King. And the, it just gave me goosebumps because I went, isn't that what becoming a mature woman is? We move on, we're able to harmonize with our past, and we have this vast new frontier in front of us that is filled with creativity. Mm. You know, you touched on something too that I was reflecting on, and that is to say that there are ways to support each other. And I honestly say the conversation that I have with my tribe 
um, women, mothers, and the like is so much more authentic now in midlife than mm-hmm. it ever was. You know, I mean, we are able to laugh at the experiences and the loose skin and the various different things that have um, made up who we are now, you know, and, and just the humbling experience of aging and the humbling experience of being a mom and all of those different things. And I think that's been one of the best parts for me is this camaraderie from a place of authenticity that doesn't, you know, it's not like, a ooh, what's she doing? Oh, what she got, you know, but more of just like this we're truly in this together. <laughs> like only, only someone who's lived this long can really relate to this conversation kind of thing. I think there is great grace in being humbled. I, I think it just opens up a whole other part. And, you know, you've used the word authentic a couple of times. And, and I honestly believe that the work of our older years from midlife moving forward is really the work of the authentic heart. Because fitting in doesn't, it doesn't really matter anymore. You know, think of the, all the energy you wasted on trying to fit in somewhere. What matters is that we belong And we only belong to each other in authenticity. And that's how we support each other and encourage each other. Who cares if something sags? I don't look at my, I have girlfriends in my life that I've had since I was in my 20s. And I'm now 68 years old. And I I look at them and they look exactly the same to me. Now, I know there's not really truth in that. It's kind of like my husband. We've been married for 32 years and he looks the same to me. But I think it's because we see these people through the eyes of love. And so the work of the authentic heart is to be able to see everyone that way. We don't see the flaws. We don't see the imperfections. We just see through the eyes of love. I I like that. And more importantly, I think even when you were speaking, I was thinking about a youthful heart. Like, you know, it, to me, it's so much more important that I live Um, in a vibration that is spirited and light. And I'm so much more concerned about what I'm, what my thoughts are doing and what, and how I'm showing up in the world in the way of being a light rather than what I look like to the world. Because I feel like if I am living inside out in a graceful light and positive way with a vibration that is lifted, then it shifts how others see me because I do feel like people can, people have see people in two different forms. They see their physical body, but I also believe we see each other's energetic body. And I think that if you're looking at somebody in that way and you can see that their energetic spirit is so light and so lifted, they have a more youthful physical body appearance because of that. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a deeper beauty when you're able to see the soul of one as opposed to just the, the outer physical pod, <laughs> whatever that is. Absolutely. And I think what I really love about the idea of grace is that it takes the entire concept to a whole nother level um, where you're able to really let go of some of what other people think about you and embrace just who you are and what your what your journey here is supposed to look like or what your experience here is meant to look like. Yes, and you're also in a position to educate other people about that. I sometimes hear older women say things like, I just don't feel significant anymore, relevant, I feel invisible. And 
that's a call that's coming from inside the house. So we owe it to educate that clerk behind the counter at Macy's that I'm here to do business. Give me some attention, please. Mm-hmm. And, and to realize that she's probably not giving you attention because she's a bad person or a mean person, that she may not be giving you attention because she's uncomfortable in her youthful 22-year-old skin and isn't quite sure how to interact with all the diversity in the world. So there are moments where we can educate those around us. Um, I don't think would have dared say to Iris Epfel, who's an icon in the fashion industry, and I think 93 or 94 years old now, you're too old to be doing this. Or that someone would say to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, God rest her sweet, sweet soul, well, you know, maybe you're too old for the law. No one would say that to Warren Buffett. And yet we sometimes reserve those comments for older women. You know, that that old antiquated image of the crone. We are not that. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about how I work with a lot of women who uh, have shared similar sentiments where they say, you know, I, I had my youth and all of that. And then I had my, my mothering years and all of that. And now I just don't know what I have left. Now I just don't know what I look to. Now I just don't know what comes next for me. And it's sad to me that, and I do believe this is a societal issue, that we have really um, segregated family systems where, you know, in the early days of human years, the aging and the wisdom shared by elders was respected and revered and they all lived together and they, and they look to the elders to share wisdom and stories and experiences and all of this. And, and now we've, I really feel like we've created this space where our elders are put in homes or they're definitely not in our homes. They're left in their own homes or whatever. They're kind of just ignored to just go by the wayside. And I can see how that may feel uh, really overwhelming for people how, what do you, what are your thoughts on that about how we've kind of really just created some of this? I think we have identity crises throughout our lives. Certainly we have one in our late teens and early twenties as we break away from our family and individuate and try to figure out who we are and where we belong in the world. And then, you know, oftentimes in the parenting years, figuring out how to juggle kids and a husband and all of that. But I think one of the juiciest identity crises really does happen in that moment where we say, now what am I supposed to do? Wow, that means you're a blank slate. And really, you're not too old to dream. I mean, is there an age where you're too old to dream? So in my life, when I hit that point where I was I was blessed to reach a point in my mid-60s where I no longer had to work, I asked myself, well, then who am I? What do I want to do with my life? And for me, I found that writing was something that I adored. I had a little bit of talent for it. And so that's what I do with my days. I'm a storyteller. I'm an observer of life. I like to write it down and communicate my thoughts and my feelings with other people in that way. I believe that we're all connected by our stories. But to just back up a little bit to that clean slate. You can do anything. 
Now, with I, the, I'm not going to be a ballerina at this age. <laughs> <laughs> there's really a lot out there for us to do. What do you want to do? And, and so the other thing, the other kind of component about that, that you talk about is being connected by our stories. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean on that? Elaborate a little bit about how that helps um, people age gracefully. Well, it's one of the ways that we support other women. We all have a story that longs to be told. And some people do it in a book, but some people do it just sitting face to face. You know, your very best friend will come over and tell you about what happened at the automotive shop when she was getting her car fixed. And, you know, this kind stranger that helped her out. It's a story that just longs to be told. And then that stimulates in you. Oh, I had an experience like that where someone helped me and it was unexpected and it was serendipitous and a surprise. So story connects us. And story used to be the purview of elders, that this is what the elders give to the culture. Younger people today aren't so eager to hear about what an old boomer has to say, um, which is kind of disparaging and sad. So now the story has to be told with how we live our life. Every time I do a podcast, I feel like I'm telling my story. And I know that someone listens to something I say and it stimulates something in them, their story, that they go, wow, I haven't thought about it in those terms. And maybe it makes them feel a little bit less alone or maybe it makes them feel inspired, but it evokes some kind of response. So I mean, when I say we're all connected by our stories, I'm real big right now on the idea of women gathering together and sharing stories. I've been a part of various different mastermind type things with various different women. And I, I agree with you um, that there, there can be a tremendous amount of strength in that as so long as the group stays positive oriented. <laughs> I mean, I think it's okay to gripe and complain a little bit, but I have seen um, the quick way that women can kind of get back into those narratives. Um, and, and that, and that I think is a, a fundamental issue that, that we do need to change. And I, I've seen a lot more of this lately. Um, I think there was a period of time, especially in late eighties, um, and throughout the nineties where, um, the shift started to happen where, you know, the, you had to look like the celebrity kind of a thing. And I've actually seen more late with social media and some of the new kind of influencers coming on the market that, that, that has started to break down a little bit which is kind of nice. You know what I mean? It, it, it's good to see that people are feeling like they can show up a little bit more as they are and a little less filtery. Um, yeah. yeah. I could never do the smoky eye. So, <laughs> and or the Farrah Fawcett hair, <laughs> or Fawcett hair. but you make a great distinction. I mean, griping is not the same as storytelling. Storytelling has a transformative component to it. The reason that we read books or we watch films is because we want to see the hero who often doesn't start out as a hero. They're just going along in life, minding their own business. And then this thing happens and they have an obstacle to overcome. And what happens at the end is they are transformed in some way. And that's really the kind of the classic inspiring story. 
so I think that when women gather, it's important to make the distinction. It's not a gripe session. It's not a bitch session. It's about something that happens to you that inspires you to be a better person, to be a more loving person, to live more fully engaged. That's what storytelling is at its best. Um, I, I love I love that idea. And I love the idea that, um, you know, connecting with our more uninhibited selves um, can lead to so much peace and harmony, too. And so by that, I mean, not being so caught up with the latest and greatest of age anti-aging products or whatever, or watching the news or the different, you know, Netflix shows and various different things and really having more time reading, having more time doing art creatively, more time in nature, uh, gardening, uh, things like that, that really can ground and connect you to something that's so much beyond, uh, you know, kind of the here and now. Because I think a lot of people get caught up in the aging process as that it's a part of death and that death is around the corner, <laughs> um, which can feel very depressing, you know, but when you start to really, uh, you know, embrace an idea there is that we are, that we are beings of light and that there is more to us than just that. Um, then you can also kind of tap into this notion that you leave legacy and what do you want your legacy to be? And I think that there's a lot more power in that than um, getting caught up in the end of days. Truly. And I, I will tell you that recently I have been doing some contemplations on death, not in a morbid sort of way, but in a way that, as Carl Jung says, it is the fruition of life. So that being so, knowing that your days are numbered, that the years you have in front of you are less than the years that you've already lived, how then... Do you want to live your life? Would you change the way you lived your life if somebody said to you, I'm going to give you the exact day and time that you're going to die? My guess is that you would. So contemplation on death really becomes a contemplation on living. And you just rattled off this list of things that are really the, the stress alleviators, the negativity alleviators of life. Read a book. Spend quiet time. Go be in nature. Let yourself be still in in the miracle of this life. I, I love that. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking this phrase that I often say, which is, we're not getting out of here alive. So how do you want right. to live it? You know, <laughs> right. uh, none of us is getting out of here alive. And I actually shared this on my Instagram story recently. And I said, if I told you, you only had a few weeks until the end of the world, how would you spend them? beautiful. And I actually um, shared it to my highlight reel. If anybody listening to the podcast wants to go check it out and see what people said, but um, it was beautiful. 
the things that people said from wanting to dive down deep in the ocean and stare up at the sky to, um, to spending more time cuddling with their children to just all sorts of various different things. My son answered the question and he said, well, if it's the end of the world, then I probably need to build a sword to fight. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just such a different perspective from a child to, you know, adults um, kind of reflecting on that. But I had somebody once tell me that I was making them nervous the way that I was speaking. And I said, why? And she said, because you're far too comfortable with death. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, I think it means that you're not going to be here much longer. You're making me nervous. When you're that comfortable with death, it means you don't have much longer to go. And I thought about that. And, uh, you know, truly the hardest part about that thought for me being a mom to a young son is that obviously he would then live his years here without me. But when I think about death, I am not afraid of death. And, you know, I'm afraid of not living, truly. I'm truly afraid of not living. I'm not afraid of the process of dying. Um, I certainly don't want to die a painful, torturous death. Like anybody would obviously not want that. But um, I spend so much time in nature. I spend so much time in my creative mind, I spend so much time in prayer and meditation that that stuff all feels like the gift of life. It feels like the dessert to all of what we've done, you know? So for me, I'm definitely in that space. And I guess I am in that space at a young age. It doesn't mean that I don't have very human, you know, concerns about car accidents or whatever, you know, cancers or things like that, but I'm comfortable with the knowing that, um, that it's more about how we show up here now than it is about what happens when we die, you know? Right. Right. It's how you live your days now and the end comes for all of us. Like you said, no one here gets out alive. And I think it was Jim Morrison that said that. (laughs) By the way, yeah, and that, and that, yeah, and and I'm sure I picked that up from somewhere, um, and that sounds like a Jim Morrison thing. So that probably is true. But it is the day to day. It's like, how do you create joy in your life? What are you passionate about? And these are the questions. If we go back to that blank slate about, okay, the kids are grown, my career is coming to an end. Now what? And it's like, well, a great place to start is in nature. I, I think nature holds all of the stories of all of us. That's been my experience. Um, I moved to Austin, Austin, Texas, a few years ago. And I discovered that in the area around me, Texas has its own kind of woods. And it surprised me because I came from the Pacific Northwest where there were all kinds of woods and I wasn't expecting it. But there is something so soothing about walking in the woods. And if you listen real hard and you get real quiet and you just kind of sit and meditate on the trees, things will come to you. You know, those little creative sparks that say, you know, I've I've really wanted to paint something like this for a long time. Or I've really wanted to write my story down for, for my kids. Or I've really wanted to volunteer with a certain group of I know children or older people or or whatever it is starting from a blank slate, not knowing what you want to do, being in a bit of an identity crisis. Once again, I think that's great stuff and it's great stuff to take into the woods, great stuff to take into nature, the beach, wherever. Yeah, I completely agree that 
when you can sit and see how things move and even through this 2020, we'll just call it 2020, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've sat and watched the, the chickens. I've sat and watched the dogs and the cat and even the fish. And it, it's amazing how unfazed they have been, you know, like truly how they live so beautifully in the present. And, um, and I really feel like we have a lot to learn from nature in that way about how to be. And even just from the very most fundamental changing of the seasons, you know, um, I remember, and I've shared this before, I'm pretty sure on this podcast, but last year we were driving down the road and there were a tremendous amount of leaves in the road because it was fall. And I said, oh, I said, it's beautiful, but it's kind of sad too, because of the trees are losing their leaves. And my son was in the back seat and he said, but if they didn't, then we wouldn't get to see all the blossoms in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, my, my son says the most profound things. He's also, he's a nine-year-old who, I mean, he, we have a sauna and he um, will meditate in the sauna with me. We put on like Native American flute music and um, he'll sit in there and just, we just sit side by side in silence, you know, for, for an extended period of time. And he's just this real old spirit. It's, it's really beautiful. And the stuff that he says is so inspirational. And it's like, I could have thought that, but instead I thought, <laughs> oh, here's all these leaves falling off. It's going to get cold. And he thinks, but then I get to see the blossoms in the spring. And yeah. that's just the way that nature shows us and reminds us that it's not an ending. It's just a cyclical process of right. growth and rebirth. You know, I I would love to meet your son. That's it. I he sounds like a great kid. Oh, it's it's spectacular and and more. I mean, one of the things that twenty twenty has definitely done for me, and I've I've mentioned this numerous times on social media and whatnot, is that um, school had taken him away. You know, school had and 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 I say that in that. I just thought that's what we do. You know, the next thing is that when he gets, turns this age, we go to the public school system and, and that becomes the process. And 2020 has, has brought him back home to me and gosh, we've been learning experientially together and um, you know, just the way in which we've been learning about the world and science and history and math and English and reading together in the afternoons and all of these different things have been such an incredible gift. I mean, truly, I have been able to have so much silent space with him and so much learning from him. Um, and this is, again, where I feel like as a society, you know, the kids used to be in these environments with their with their family members and, and they used to come up together and and the youth of the children was was influenced onto the elderly and all of that. And we've lost a lot of that. So I feel like it's been such an incredible gift to have this time back. I would agree with that. I watched my neighbors across the street from me for the longest time when we were first here. And I, I would only see one or two of them at a time. The dad would go off and do his exercise. The mom would come out and walk the dog. The kids would go off and go to school. And then 2020 happened. And suddenly I saw them walking together as a family, like every morning it was, it turned into this family walk. And I just thought it was such a cool thing that people had that. And that maybe having that back would somehow change their lives. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that has been, I mean, when we really reflect on it, there 
have been a lot of silver linings to all of this. And uh, last last night, we actually, I actually paused our Netflix for a while, um, but I wanted to watch a show. <laughs> I, it's terrible, but I wanted to watch this show that they had on called uh, My Octopus Teacher. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you've seen that one yet, but oh my gosh, it, this man was in this space where he um, was pressed and was not able to parent very well and was just feeling very loss of life. Um, everything that he had been doing in his life, he was kind of reaching that turning point in age where it wasn't, wasn't the same. It wasn't working anymore for him. And he ended up taking to the ocean. And at first he talks about how he was terrified to swim in the sea um, in South Africa. And he started going day, day after day and he met this octopus and he formed this relationship with this octopus and how, and then it goes on to kind of share what he learned from the octopus about trust and love and life and all of it. And I mean, it's just spectacular. And it just really kind of talks to what we were talking about in the way of just connecting with nature and how truly healing it can be. There's a, um, there's a Greek myth that is about the seasons, which is really about nature. Do you know the Persephone story? I'm not, it sounds familiar, but I would definitely need a refresher. I love the Persephone story because it's what the Greeks use to illustrate nature, to illustrate the four seasons. And I especially love to tell the story to women because a lot of women tend to get a little sadness, sorrowful in the darker months. And they're concerned that there's some kind of brain chemistry thing going on. But really, it's kind of goes with the cycle of the seasons. So um, Persephone was a beautiful young woman who Hades wanted very much. And he opened up the earth and he pulled her down one day. And Persephone's mother, Demeter, said... Until you return her, nothing on the earth will grow. So the earth got cold and barren. And then Demeter and some of the other gods made this deal with Hades that Persephone would return to the world. But Demeter was very careful to say to Persephone, whatever you do before you come back, don't eat the persimmon or what is it? Because if the pomegranate juice gets on you, then you will have to return. So, of course, she had three pomegranate seeds before she came back up and created spring. But what it meant was that every year she would return for a while to the underworld. She would make her descent. And in a way, that's what the winter months are. We go through autumn where life kind of sheds itself around us through the leaves and the the temperatures get cooler. And then we make our descent into winter, which is cool and dark and quiet and it's our reflective time our contemplative time to kind of look at life and evaluate who we want to be where we want to go um what informs us now how might we change that and then the season comes around again to spring where we bloom and blossom into something new and then enjoy the fruition of summer before fall happens again Hmm. i and i think you're so right and i think that the the late fall and the winter time is a beautiful time for self-reflection and also rest. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've often spoke about how I do feel very fortunate. I used to work in an industry where, you know, I, I worked 60 hours a week. I was traveling a lot. I often got out of work very late. 
Um, and now the, the field that I'm in and, and just kind of the way that my life is, I really can make my hours in this way. And, um, even up last year, I was off at two so that I could pick up my son from school and things like that. And it was incredible. The shift that I had when I was in control of living, uh, in synergy with the seasons rather than in opposition. So when I was working late hours, I would get off late in the wintertime and it was already dark and it already felt too late to eat dinner and all of these things where now I'm able to have a earlier dinner and I'm able to go to bed earlier and I'm able to kind of embrace those different things. And I think that when we live more synergetically with the seasons, um, including in the summer, I mean, in the summer, I will be out in my garden until sometimes 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night because we still have light. Um, and I'm picking weeds and I'm harvesting and I'm, you know, just doing various different things. And I think that it is a huge shift in my perception of the, the darker, cooler, you know, evenings and, you know, light being shortened and then also in the summertime. So I think that it is important that we figure out how to live more synergistically with the changing of the seasons and the time and the day, uh, daylight rather than in disharmony with it. I agree with that. I think one of the ways that we can do that is to create little rituals around the seasons. Like, you know, you've described a summer ritual of gardening and uh, this is fall. And even though my days here in Texas are still in the 80s, um, every fall as a thing, I make apple butter. I go and I pick out all different kinds of apples and chop them up and put them in a big slow cooker. And they cook for about three days to cook them down to what the consistency of something that will become a spread. And the sense of the cinnamon and the apples is like, it's divine. And it's like this yearly thing that I look forward to. And then I can it and I give it away to my neighbors and friends and keep a jar for us. (laughs) So where I live is um, right next to something that's, called Apple Hill in California. And um, every year we go and we do a pie cooking class. We've done it every year. It's not like I don't know how to make an apple pie, but it's part of the tradition. It's part of the experience. We take the kids to do it and we pick apples, but I've never done the apple butter before. So now I think I'm going to, I'm going to start that too, because that sounds so fabulous. And I, and I love that. I love what you're talking about, about like kind of more the the seasonal traditions and they, and they are, those are some of the things that become a legacy, you know, and they become the memories that we have. And I often speak about this on the podcast too, is, you know, really at the end, at the end of the day, at the end of the last day of your living life, you're not going to remember the things that you've acquired. You're going to remember the memories and the experiences that you had. And so I think that, you know, to, to your point, having these traditions, those are the things that live on after you're gone, you know, and those are the things that we really get to um, reflect on when, when we do start to uh, fade. And, and it has been proven time and time again, that even if the cognitive memory lapses, uh, the the um, olfactory of um, scent and different things like that stick with us and sound. So, you know, as you're describing the apple butter and having the cinnamon smells and those sorts of things, if you were to have a cognitive decline in your later years, 
you may smell this, that cinnamon and it will trigger a memory in your mind and it, you will experience some oxytocin release from that happiness. So those are important. They're very important. You know, and I think too, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about the legacy that my mother and my grandmother left behind that, you know, what I think about when I think of them. And um, with my grandmother, it was all about the kitchen. It was all about, now we probably don't do this with kids today, but in my day, my grandmother would pour me coffee. It would be a half a cup of coffee and the other half was milk. And she would pull biscuits out of the oven that were piping hot and, you know, we'd put butter on them and her homemade preserves. And we'd sit at the kitchen table and we'd talk. And I swear the problems of the world got solved at that kitchen table with my <laughs> grandmother. And that's the way that I remember her. I don't remember what she gave me. I don't remember so much of what we did together as who we were together who we were together when we sat in the garden together and she showed me how to pick the peas and then cautioned me not to make sure that some of the peas when I shelled them made them to the bowl and not just my mouth. As you're speaking, I'm reflecting on my own grandmother who died when I was 18, mm. but um, it, it, we were very close, very, very, very close. And um, my fondest memories are, of picking tomatoes in the garden with her and then eating them fresh on toast, sourdough toast that she had also baked and then pickling cucumbers with her. And, you know, to do that now as an adult, and I did not do any of that in my twenties at all. Um, and it wasn't until I was 30 that I start. No, I was 28, 28, 29 when I started gardening, um, after I moved back home to Northern California and, um, even to this day, I, I had toast with, I had sourdough toast this morning with fresh tomatoes from the garden oh. and it, it, it just, it's like almost an instant thing where it just takes me right back to her kitchen. It, it's incredible. It truly is. Sometimes I like to imagine that I close my eyes and I imagine that my mother is standing behind me. My, my mother died about 15 years ago. Um, but I imagine my mother standing behind me and then I imagine my grandmother behind her and then my great grandmother, Eva, who I never met, although I did visit her grave once. And I imagine the way these women paved the way and paid a price and passed a light to me, that so much of who I am, we'd like to think that we're, you know, so terribly independent, but a lot of who we are is informed by the women that stood behind us, that stand behind us. And so I ask myself the question sometimes when I think of them standing behind me, what is the light that I will leave to my nieces and the women that are in at the front of the, you know, in, in the front of the line now? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good visualization. I, I love that. I, I really like that a lot. I think that the connection by stories and things like that, everything that you're talking about, that that's really what it comes down to. And that's really what's important. And if we can, if we can find a way to live in that space more, we can let go so much more of the anti-aging and, <laughs> you know, highlighting our hair and, and all of that different stuff. And I'm not saying if it, you know, if you highlight your hair and you love going to the, the salon spa and that just makes you feel beautiful, by all means do that. Um, 
for me, you know, it was more about just really wanting to kind of literally get back to my roots. <laughs> but, but I literally, that, um, <laughs> um, but I, I do, I, I just think that, you know, what we do to make us feel beautiful, as long as it's coming from within, it's coming from the right space, That's you know, true. not because someone tells us to do this or, or whatnot, but because we feel like it's the right thing inside of us, you know? Right. Well, Stephanie, this has been just a glorious conversation, such a positive oriented one. I've had a lot of really intense episodes on um, the podcast lately. So this one is a lot lighter in spirit. And I think um, it's the the timing in which it's coming out in the fall here um, at the precipice of the election and kind of everything. I think a lot of women are going to need to hear this message. So I really appreciate that uh, you took the time out today. You know, I am delighted to be here, and I I think that you got the benefit of my being on a a few-day fast on social media and um, (laughs) a serious news diet. Um, (laughs) I've been doing them weekly, like literally every, like I swear, every other week I I shut everything down. It just becomes too much. And people would freak out. They say, were you, were you censored? Were you canceled? And I said, I canceled myself. (laughs) I know. You know, we can handle a little bit of stress here and there. It's, it, it informs our life, a little bit of stress here and there, but a continuous diet of stress and exhaustion from events over which we have little control is not good for any of us. So to be able to talk to you about the Persephone story and supporting other women and our mothers and our grandmothers and tomatoes on fresh bread in the morning, that has been truly a delight. And I thank you so much for inviting me to be your guest today. Oh yeah, this was fabulous. And, uh, and, and thank you for just being who you are. You are definitely a light in the world and people need to hear your message and they can Certainly pick up your book, Delightful Little Book on Aging. They can check out your podcast, Coffee Table Wisdom, right? Right. And, um, and your website. And could you share your website? My website is stephanieraffelock.com. And I'm sure that you have a page so people won't have to figure out how to spell that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It will all be in the show notes. Um, so definitely, if this podcast inspired you, please pick up her book and know that the best part is yet to come. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.